Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashman and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. Hello and welcome back to the Limehouse Podcast. It's good to see you again. I am ever so slightly sick of the weather. I don't know about you. Um, It's snowing, which is fine because it's the winter. What else is it meant to do? But when you're working out in it, hour after hour and and your feet are getting colder and colder and your will starts to go um yeah you know let's just cut to the chase where's the spring okay come on i know it's mid-february and there's not meant to be any spring but still you know it could give us some hope like a day of like 10 or 12 or 14 degrees you know yeah yeah you know it's going to disappear but just something to latch on to anyway but yes of course if you do have um a swell of generosity come over you and you enjoy some aspects of the podcast please feel free to leave a review on itunes this really does help i know if you're a regular podcaster you love your podcasts you will hear this a lot uh, from the, the podcast hosts and this is no different sorry but it re- it really helps it really really does so yeah if you could do that would be great obviously we also want to hear from you so uh, the limehouse podcast at gmail.com sign up give us an email do it get involved and then obviously uh, i love the chit chat on, on the old twitter there and that's limehouse pod limehouse pod it couldn't be simpler and we're on facebook so you can join our group there that's just the limehouse podcast but um yeah so here is the interview i did with nick clegg it is I've taken out all the other stuff from the previous interview um, that I did with Bobby and and what have you. So this is just literally just an episode of me and Nick talking. Uh, we we are going to see if, if Nick wants to come back for another chat uh, in maybe April time uh, for, I suppose, more Brexit conversation. And, and you know what? We'll see what comes up when we press record. We'll just see what happens. But um, yeah, no, Nick was very accommodating to, you know, allow um, allow me into into his office to, to, to chat in the first place. You know, I'm, I'm no John Pienaar, so they, they took a gamble uh, with me. And I, I think I think it was a, it was great. It was it was such a, a, a good a good chat I had with him. I really enjoyed myself and I, and I hope you get um, a little bit of something from it. Um, yeah. And then obviously uh, I'll be here at the end of the interview to uh, beg you to uh, carry on listening in the future and to leave reviews on iTunes and do all those sort of things that podcasters generally have to do. It's sort of part and parcel of it. But that's life, I suppose. That's life. That's what all the people say. I was actually listening to Frank Sinatra today at work and it really picks you up. It really does. That man, my God, yeah, everybody goes on about the timing in his voice, but it's so true. You know, it's so true what everybody says. If everybody says it, there, there must be some form of truth to it. Oh, what I would have done for just one good, solid handshake with Frank Sinatra, you know, or Ken Clark, maybe. Ken would just look me in the eye and go, we're screwed. See you later.
I don't think he'd say that. He'd probably say something really, you know, amusing and vaguely profound. Anyway, look, um, I'm I'm going to level with you. I am um, I'm slightly tired. This is why I'm rambling. But anyway, enjoy the interview. I did, and I'll see you on the other side. Bye. When when did the fire start in you? The 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 decision to to get enter into politics. I didn't have a sort of epiphany moment or a sort of revelatory uh, experience where yeah. a sort of blinding light descended upon me, and it was as Lib Dem light that said I must follow the path. It wasn't it wasn't okay. anything like that. It was yeah. it crept up on me much more um, with that with a with the benefit of hindsight. I can see now that whilst my family was not sort of political with a big P in the sense that, you know, my, my parents were not sort of card-carrying devotees of one party or another. Politics with a sort of small P certainly infused a lot of a lot of family life, partly because of the just the sort of background of my parents. My dad's mum, mm. you know, was Russian and had suffered all the sort of turmoil of the Russian Revolution, had lost large members of her family. And my yeah, mum yeah, was born yeah. in Indonesia. And, Spent uh, some formative years in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. So, in, in other words, the idea that big political ideas can have big consequences was instilled uh, in me and my brothers and my sister at quite an early age. Yeah. And then, I have to say, you know, I'm just turned fifty. I think for a lot of people in my generation, a lot of my early political awareness, you know, in my late teens, twenties, was was very much driven, uh, uh, you know, by my reaction to uh, the then sort of you know, blue in tooth and claw Thatcherism. Okay, and, yeah, and particularly yeah. the kind of slightly sort of soulless worldview that there was no such thing as a society. And if you layer on top of that, again, this is all with the benefit of hindsight, the kind of internecine battle, battles about Europe that were raging at that time. So what, um, sorry, what year is this? 80 something? Well, these are the 80s. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I went to university in the mid 80s, uh, yeah. mid to late 80s. Uh, and um, so I think, I think Europe, oddly enough, given that, you know, Europe is now absorbing so much of my time and so much political debate, Europe was, uh, right from the outset, a very big, you know, catalyst for yeah. me. And, and, and at that time, Paddy Ashdown's sort of ardent and unapologetic internationalism, uh, illustrated, funnily enough, not so much by a European issue, but by his commitment to treating um, Hong Kong yeah. uh, citizens uh, and giving them passport rights. Remember that cut through to me as a young man. So it was kind of a mixture of a belief in internationalism when the government of the day was turning inwards, uh, a dislike uh, and a kind of re- recoiling from the very kind of soulless approach to, towards society by Margaret Thatcher. And of course, like everybody, my own background, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So that your dad didn't sit you down around a campfire and go, now look here, son. You know, it's time to become a liberal. No, 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 no. no, 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 the, no. The, 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 it wasn't birds and the bees. It was, it's, it was liberal policies. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it, it's. I mean, dare I say it, it's one of the great strengths and weaknesses of liberalism is that for a lot of people, myself included, you know, I arrived at liberalism. You know, it was a journey. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't like a social uniform. It wasn't. Yeah, it, wasn't it wasn't like putting a jacket on in the morning thing. And and of course, it's important to remember that for you know for quite a lot of people, it's changing these days. But certainly, in previous decades. You know, politics was as much as anything else about social identity. It's just something you did if, if you came from a particular yeah, community yeah. or a street yeah. or, yeah. Uh, you know, if you come from the north or the south or the city or the countryside. I, for, for me, actually, it was, it was probably driven as much as anything else by, um, by you know, by, by kind of some a pretty instinctive, almost primitive belief in kind of internationalism. And, and, yeah. also, uh, and also, you know, kind of like any young person, a sort of just anti-establishment feeling. I, yeah. think, I do think liberalism... No mohawk, though. No mohawk. No. Hair. Okay. No. Yeah, no, no. no. So, so you've 
you stuck around because Cameron's left. Mm. Um, how does it feel after all that, after ab- the absolute disaster of mm. the referendum? Mm. And, you know, obviously the following the 2015 uh, general election results, you, you, you still stuck around that that how how did that come about did you never sort of think look oh my you know this is this is such a weight you know and and, and couple that with brexit was it just no i've still got something to say or um or keys i think i think immediately after the general election i mean that was such a that was such a hammer blow really um and i'd been you know i'd been running at 200 miles an hour for every second of the day for nine well, close well not quite a decade nine eight nine years yeah of course yeah uh i mean i i, I realized with some with, almost with a sort of bit of a shock really that after i stood down uh as party leader in in the spring of 2015 looking back on it i don't think i really had I, c- I could only remember one summer holiday which was uninterrupted over God, you know yeah. many many years, and I couldn't basically think of a single weekend which I'd had to myself for, you yeah. know, for probably from the time I'd uh, started to lead the party eight years before. So, uh, so to be honest, my first instinct was not certainly not about sort of you know bailing out, yeah. uh, but was just to catch my breath. I did I did need some time to catch my breath, well, well, yeah. stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Beyond, but after that, and particularly when it became obvious that in, in the run up to the referendum, this was going to be the sort of the, the issue of our of our time really I mean it's just something that I have felt passionate about all my life I you know Miriam and I it's not just professionally I spent 10 years in and around the European Union in the European Commission as a as an MEP in the yeah. way I've described to you earlier I come from a very European background I'm condemned really genetically to, to, to be a, a sort of a pro-European but also you know Miriam and I our first two our two oldest boys were born yeah. In Brussels, you know, when we first got married, we both worked there. So there's just very profound ideological, political and personal attachments to, not to Brussels as such, but to the idea that, you know, Britain serves itself and its people best when it's open and engaged with Europe. So, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's a, I could hardly, it just, it just is just not in me to sort of say, oh, well, I've had my innings. I'm feeling a bit. I've, I've run out of puff, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to join this fight. It's the. It's the most important issue of our time, and I feel. Yeah. Uh, as long as I feel I've got a useful contribution to make, other people might judge that I don't. But as long as I feel I have a useful contribution to make, I want to continue to make it. Talk about second referendums. Are you? Do you believe in a second referendum? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Of course. For, for the very simple reason that the the Brexiteers won the argument on the twenty third of June to exit the European Union, but they have no mandate, and they have no right, right to claim, as they now are, that they have a mandate on how you do that. Yeah. And so it's, it's uh, you know, listen, if, if the Brexiteers, if Gove and Farage and Johnson and all these, all these opportunists and, and, and populists had clubbed together and actually, you know, produced a manifesto, yeah. which people could sit around in their living rooms and around the kitchen table looking at, and, and which described, not in exhaustive detail, but with some level of sort of precision, what Brexit actually means for the country, yeah. then, then I frankly think the case for second referendum would be pretty weak because yeah. then they would have the, you know, they, they really would have the mandate to not only exit the European Union but to do it in the way in which they had, you know, which they'd explained to the British people first. But they very deliberately withheld from the British people any description of a future Brexit reality. And they did that. I mean, you know, it's not as if we weren't warned. I mean, this this rather sort of shadowy character, Dominic Cummings, who apparently had a lot to do with how the 
Brexit campaign was constructed, you know, wrote lengthily months before the referendum that the mm. one thing that the Brexit side must do is not get pinned down on what on earth Brexit means. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, and so they don't yeah. have the mandate. So I think on a you know on an issue of basic democratic principle, it is important that mm. the British people that you bookend this just as much as the British people had the say at the start of the journey. They also have the, the you know as Tim Farron as I think very compellingly yeah. complained uh, complained sorry explained <laughs> uh, as Tim has explained that they also have a say on the final destination. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I personally feel um, I joined in June. Uh, and I, I joined because I saw uh, Tim's speech in Trafalgar Square on YouTube. So the, the British people have given their view, uh, and it's a majority for Leave, and you've got to respect that view. There's no, it would be wrong to uh, ignore what the British people said. The triggering uh, Article 50 is right to wait to do it at the right moment to get the best deal for Britain. Uh, the problem at the moment is that we'll get a very bad deal as things go. So my sense is that this is a, this today is a is a, uh, a rally to bring people together to express a view to the outside world that Britain is an outward-looking, decent European country. That whatever we do going forward about being a member of the European Union, or not, um, that we don't want our neighbours to think that we don't like them. Bloody hell, wow, you know, he's, he's got some, you know, behind him. It was exciting, you know, and it's a contrast to yourself, not in a negative way, just that, you know, you're two quite different people. How, how is it going with, with, the whole, with, with, with Tim as a leader? Is oh, I think he's doing really, really well. He's doing brilliantly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I want to do nothing other than... Other than uh, support him, and I, I think he's, uh, I think he's, I mean, it's, it's fine. I found out myself many, many years ago when you start out as a leader, it, you know, you, it takes a while to introduce yourself to, to, to people up and down the country, but I think he's doing absolutely brilliantly. I see the benefits of the EU, and those that, mm. that can't are, are there. We've got the A versus the B. And Theresa May is, is putting herself firmly, you know, mm. disregarding the 48. Mm. That riles you. I can, I can, I can tell when you know. Oh, you know. Of course, well, sorry. That's, that's, yes. So there's a. I draw a distinction between um, spelling out the virtues of the European Union. Yeah. There are failings of the European. There are flaws of the European Union. Yeah. But that's one thing. I think the thing that you're driving at, which I strongly agree with, is I just very, very, viscerally feel that no prime minister, least of all a prime minister who has no mandate of her own, mm. who didn't doesn't deign to be elected by anybody. Yeah. Uh, whose party has only scraped into power with 24% of the eligible vote, I just don't think someone in that position has the right, when presiding over such a deeply divided country, divided by geography, mm. Scotland, London voting you know, to remain while other parts didn't, uh, Northern Ireland voting to remain and so on, uh, obviously divided according to class and economic uh, well-being, um, but crucially, or perhaps most crucially of all, also starkly divided generationally, mm. where younger people voted in droves, in overwhelming numbers, to stay in. I just think if you're confronted with a divided nation like that, it is your duty. It's a kind of, it's a kind of almost a moral, constitutional, sort of quasi-constitutional duty to seek to try and heal those divisions and find mm. an accommodation between those sides. Mm. And she hinted that that's what she wants to do in, in you know, in her role, sort of vapid. Uh, New Year's uh, statement, but everything her government is doing and everything they're doing and sort of heading towards a hard Brexit, you know, placing their particular, uh, you know, view of how freedom of movement should be brought to an end uh, above all other priorities, you know, she is she's in a sense almost airbrushing out of the equation the dreams, the aspirations, the needs yeah. and the rights and the values 
of close to 50% of the voting public. And that makes me very angry because it's wrong. It's wrong in a mature democracy to say to the losing side, particularly when it was such a narrowly won contest, you are basically disenfranchised. You are yeah. delegitimized. You have no voice. You have no right to express what you believe. And that's why I think it is tremendously important that we as Liberal Democrats speak up mm. for the nation as a whole, but perhaps most especially right now for those people who are being told that they have no voice. I mean, it, Philip Hammond uh, and uh, Greg, uh, Greg Clark, they're reasonable, uh, reasonable people. Today, Philip Hammond was talking about um, Germany uh, and going to Germany with interests, uh, you know, trying, trying to steady the ship. Are there Tories that, I know there are Tories, but realistically, can we expect the Tories to put pressure in the months ahead past, you know, Article 50, triggering Article 50, to do, to do some kind of sense with, to, to, to not necessarily deal, but just to help them see sense? No, of course, of course there are Conservatives uh, who, who don't believe we should exit the European... Ken Clark. Well, no, but there's more, more yeah. than that. I mean, uh, Theresa May, not, not that she did very much about it, was nominally at least in favour of remaining. I think the problem for them, well, it's, it's, it's manifold. Firstly, uh, I mean, it, it, for me at least, it is, of course, slightly amusing to hear or to see now that Philip Hammond is emerging as one of the most reasonable I know, yeah, uh, the, international figures. Because when I yeah. sat around the cabinet table with him, you know, he was afraid, like a lot of these conservatives, before he knew anything about the European Union when he became foreign secretary. So before he became foreign secretary, he indulged in the worst kind of sort of cardboard cutout sneering condemnations of the rest of the European Union and the and the and the frailties of the Eurozone. So my 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 kind of message to people like that is is great that they're fighting the fight now within you know behind the battlements mm. of Whitehall. But where on earth were yeah, they right, ten yeah. years ago? If these yeah. people had come to the conclusions they'd now come to very, very late in the day, welcome though that is, if they'd come to that realization earlier, we wouldn't be in the terrible state we now are. And then the second problem for them all is that Theresa May has contrived somehow to, to, to make herself sort of hostage of the hardest hardline Brexiteers on her back benches. Yeah. Because she's, I think, almost psychologically perhaps overcompensated for the fact that she knows that she was treated or is treated by, with suspicion, by the real headbangers on her back benches. And of course, uh, where, because she feels she owes something to you know these sort of splenetic characters like Paul Dacre, the editor of the Daily oh, Mail, who backed her to become leader of the Conservatives, she's she's perhaps unwittingly become a prisoner of people who don't really wish her much, yeah, you know, much good, and certainly don't have the interests of the country as a whole at large. So she's she's become a prisoner of some very very vituperative, mm. that's you know, a narrow word. vested interests, and that's that's a huge error. What she should have done. Because she was going to become a leader anyway. She didn't need to. She didn't need to pander to Paul Dacre and his slightly kooky, swivel-eyed prejudices. What she could have done the moment she became leader is to say, "Yes, I'm leader. Yes, I'm the Brexit." But no, in the same way that I'm going to disappoint Nick Clegg and Tim Farron and ardent Europhiles and Liberal Democrats, I'm also going to disappoint Liam Fox and and uh, John Redwood and, and and Paul Dacre. I am going to plot the best middle course that I can for the country as a whole. She could have done that right at the outset, and I think the country. People like us would say, oh, but it's still better to stay in the European Union. But yeah. we would have accepted that she's trying to make the best of a difficult hand being dealt yeah. with. Her. Instead, she's lurched to sort of say, I only really believe in the kind of, you know, 
as yeah. she said this weekend, you know, Europe, the, 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 the relationship with the European Union where we can't retain yeah. any any bits of it. Well, which of course is nonsense. There are yeah. of course countries outside the European Union which have retained bits of it. What do you think of our um, fairer society? I mean, I could give you my opinion, but I don't think I, I don't really want to swear too much on the uh, podcast. But it's. I mean, I, I personally find these bromides and platitudes. I mean, I've been in politics long enough. Every every politician of every party says they want they want you know cake at tea and the sun to shine and the traffic to flow and everyone to be lovely. To, I mean, it's just it's just it's just a bundle yeah. of cliches. And I, for me, I suppose it, it resonated, or at least it, I took a particular interest in what she had to say about mental health because I was one of the first. Sort of prominent politicians on the national stage to kind of break the political taboo about uh, mental health many many years ago. Now, when I one yeah. of the first one of my first turns as leader of the Liberal Democrats, this is what nine years ago now, um, uh, at Prime Minister's Questions when Gordon Brown was Prime Minister, was uh, I was I think I was one of the first people to raise mental health at Prime Minister's Questions. This is almost a decade ago, yeah. and I remember at the time a sort of sharp intake of breath. Oh gosh, you know what a sort of what a controversial thing to do. And then in government, uh, you know, I introduced with, with, with Norman Lamb some really radical changes the first time we're now having waiting times being introduced for mental health, um, the first time the NHS is sort of constitutional, legally bound to treat mental health with the same yeah. significance as physical health and so on and so forth. She as Prime Minister gets up with a great fanfare to talk about mental health. What is it about to? A couple of reviews Mm. And fifteen million quid is a drop in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. To do what? Not very much. And that you know, I, I just think. Look, boy, I've got the t-shirt. I know this. People are so cynical of politicians. They don't really any longer believe politicians unless they see that actions follow words. And that's yeah. certainly not the case in her instant. In her, in her sort of case. So we've got about a minute and a half, or yep. two minutes. Um, your proudest moment in coalition. Well, I've lots of proud moments. I think one of the ones that I'm very, very proud of is that, uh, you know, there are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of little children in this country who now, uh, whose parents, you know, struggle to, you know, pay for a healthy school meal, who, who receive, you know, a healthy school meal for, for free at lunchtime, and that there are many, many poor families up and down the country who, whose two-year-old toddlers now receive free, 30 hours of free sort of preschool support, um, both of which I introduced, you know, very much at my, it was my incentive, my initiative, Liberal Democrat initiative, against a lot of resistance in parts of Whitehall. And I think they are those, you know, they are the kind of small steps that make a huge, huge difference to yeah. many, many people up and down the country. Yeah, and you're recovered from the, from 2015. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that speech. I've got to say, a lot of people joined the party because of your... your uh, yes, I wish I didn't have to give the speech, but... Yeah, yeah, there you your go. your um, resignation... Not resignation, was it resignation it's speech? Resignation. Yeah, your resignation speech. I think a lot of people really felt that. I particularly did. I, I definitely Thank had a, a bit of a cry. But you do you do understand that a lot of people joined the party Yeah, yeah, no, well, as I say, it's yeah. very nice to hear that, though yeah. I wish it wasn't a speech I ever had to give. Why do you go. think people joined, though, because of that speech? Oh, I think there was a very, prof- sort of quite a profound sense uh, across the country um, amongst, you know, especially amongst folk who were kind of liberal-minded, if not at least at that point, or up to that point, liberal Democrats, who just felt that the general election result uh, was just unfair. Mm. You know, I think many people expected we were going to get a bit of a drubbing. Uh, I certainly, you know, didn't expect that we were going to triumph. Yeah. But I don't think anyone thought it was a fair, uh, you know, a fair outcome 
after five years of not perfect, of course not, it never is, no government is perfect, not perfect public service, but nonetheless a government because of Liberal Democrats, which I would think will be looked back upon as a very sensible, sane, moderate and stable government yeah. in a pretty unstable and not particularly sensible world. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, can I just ask you to say hello to yeah. the podcast listeners? Basically like a like an opening sting. Can you say, um, I don't know, um, hello, my name's Nick Clegg, you're listening to the Limehouse podcast. Yeah. And if you get it in one go, you're better than Greg Mulholland. Hello, this is Nick Clegg, and you're listening to the Limehouse podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Wow, that was very good. Is that right? Very professional, we've done that before. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, are we good? I don't yeah, he's not actually here yet, so we've got one more question. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, no, yeah okay, cool. Um, you meant, okay, Chopin, you still listening to, to, the, to the old boy? Because, yes, um, from time to time, yeah. I don't know, actually, yeah. Yeah, I no, I'm not, I don't profess I'm an expert, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the two... There's a piece whose name I've forgotten, that Miriam plays beautifully. I've completely forgotten what it's called. Um, I like the David Bowie, well done. Right. Did you shed a tear? Yes, yeah. and even more so when Prince died. Oh really? Oh god, yeah. Tell, tell, I was tell a me, huge fan of Prince. Tell me where you were when Prince died then. I was in New York. Yeah. I was uh, at a meeting of the Global Drugs Commission in, uh, in New York and yeah. I was absolutely polaxed by it because I'd seen him in concert uh, in early 2015, so almost two years ago now, yeah. in Camden. Yeah. And he was just, I couldn't believe it. He was, and I hadn't seen him in concert for 25 years. Yeah. And he was as sort of captivating, uh, sort of quarter of a century later as he was when I, when I saw him in, uh, well, actually the time I saw him before, yeah, I saw him in Camden, was in, was in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, in his yeah. hometown, quarter of a century earlier. Well, there you go. I told you. I told you he was. He, he was a good. He was a good man. It was a good chat, and uh, I wasn't wrong. Yeah, uh, it, it was funny actually, though, because um, I, I've edited it down. I edited off the first two minutes because we were having a nice little chat, and um, he he didn't know it was recording. You know, because I'm not a. I'm not sort of one of those consummate professional uh, interviewers. Obviously, my affiliation with the BBC is is no more than just. Uh, paying uh, for the license fee so I was uh, yeah he was oh, so we're recording I was like, yeah, oh yeah yeah Nick we've been recording oh right then right let me get to it and then he was bang on point it was uh, it was quite funny I think that's going to be my thing in the future I'm going to have to start telling um, whoever I'm interviewing that the the recording the, the interview itself has actually started um, you know or not and then you get some really cool cheeky little insights into stuff yeah um you know, or not, and just they start talking about their favourite brand of, I don't know, ice cream, or you know, their favourite colour is magnolia, and then you just wish you weren't there in the first place. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, so I'm glad you enjoyed it. it. It's it's like I said, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to I'm going to cut out all the other conversations that we sometimes have on podcasts, and I'm going to um, just focus down for you if you if you just want the interview. You know, I don't also, I am a bit worried that doing that, you're just going to go straight to the interview and not get involved in the podcast um, with the other issues that we talk about. You know, so if I get Elaine in and, and, and Bobby comes in as well, you know, it's important to me that you guys, you know, you have a an understanding of, of what 
we think is is important around the the, the country at the moment you know be it the the nhs or the prison service uh you know etc etc or you know bloody grammar schools and all you know just yeah so although we will be discussing those topics um in a broader aspect with in a broader way with with the mps i interview or hell anyone um I, i want you to just stay you know close to the whole podcast thing itself because there's stuff there that's important as well um and so i also want to say i i really enjoyed those mark pack the one two and three uh, parts that i put together for you guys i really really enjoyed it it was an awful lot of insight and an awful lot of informa- information to um siphon through so I hope that if you've listened to it once, you'll maybe go back and listen again and, and get, your, get your head around it all. I mean, it's me asking the questions, so there's nothing too esoteric about it all. So it's all pretty straightforward. Um, and yeah, and thanks to Mark for, for, um, for the interviews, you know, for his time. He's a great guy, another great guy. And uh, remember to check out his website. It's markpack.org.uk. So, and then I suppose, what, what's coming up? Well, um, you, you've what's coming up I mean, you've got so much to listen to that um i mean you're a bit sport for choice but anyway i've got an interview with um norman lamb coming up this week and i i love that guy that that guy's a good guy he's really sweet um and not not i don't like him just because he's sweet and he's you know got a nice medium to firm handshake and he looks in your eyes when he's doing it. It's also, um, you know, his his um, his politics. It, it makes sense. It's just common common sense, um, common sense politics. Whether it's on the mental health um, uh, mental health policies he has, or whether it's um, on social care. He, he's a he's the dude. He is the dude, and he's 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 it's a great interview. You're gonna love it. Um, and uh, and I think uh, maybe you know soon soon enough we'll have some uh, Green Party talk coming up as well with Jonathan Bartley. But um, there's so many interviews coming up, so you you are gonna be spoilt for bloody choice. I am not joking. Uh, so uh, in the meantime, uh, I'm gonna say goodbye. But it's important to let you know that uh, I'm, I'm gonna be in Thailand for a while. I'm gonna be in Thailand for a month. I've um, I've unearthed some secrets, and uh, I'm, I've just discovered in a box in the Limehouse itself, under a few rotten floorboards, and I tried to sell this information to a third party, and uh, I've been ratted out. So I'm having to flee the country and go and work at a dog sanctuary uh, under the guise of a normal, decent human being. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Of course I haven't done any of those things. But um, I am going to Thailand nonetheless, uh, and and uh, in my absence, I'm gonna tr- I'm gonna try and upload stuff whilst I'm there and just see what happens. I don't know that I don't know how the internet works. Um, I know it, I know that they, obviously they have the internet in Thailand. I just don't know what servers and what uh, software and and stuff like this. So it could it could just be that you don't hear from me for like four weeks. In which case, like I said, you've got so much to listen to already that um you, you can just use up that can't you and you can wait four weeks but yeah i'm going there and i, I just want to make this really quick i want to make this really quick because i know i've been rambling a bit here but um 
Why am I going over there? Well, I'll tell you why I'm going over there and uh, leaving the Limehouse in the capable hands of a couple of other random people, um, Bob and Mary, who I've just invented. So I'm going over there to work uh, with a dog sanctuary called the Soy Dog Foundation. These guys are amazing. So they, they it's headed up um, by a lovely lady called Jill and and her husband, John. And they've been doing it for many years now, but they... they they started rescuing dogs from the dog meat trade in northern Thailand, you know, being ferried across the border into Vietnam. And also dogs that are, um, you know, really badly treated in the country itself. And they, they bring them back to health. And and then they, they get adopted all around the world. And that's exactly what I did. I had little Rosie, my dog, and she's, she's fantastic. She's here. So, yeah, that's where I'm going to be. And um, if you've got any time go in spare and you you want to check out something worthwhile i don't know and do something decent with your life um you can check out their their website which is soydog.org soydog.org and that is s-o-i dog.org s-o-i which is actually thai for street there you go um so yeah and, and obviously they've had loads of um famous people do stuff for them like you know Judy Dench and uh, Ricky Gervais uh, and Will Young's their um, ambassador. So yeah, that they they've got they've they've got loads of stuff going on and it's really exciting to go over there and work with, for them and with them and and volunteer and what have you. So anyway, I'm gonna bid you farewell. I hope you have a good rest of your winter. I'm going to gladly run away from this winter and I'm going to see you in the spring, if not sooner. So take care. And, and remember, be good to each other, be kind, wear a smile, it's free, and, you know, if if you see someone in need, give him your help. Be a good, be a, be a good person, and don't worry about Donald Trump, and don't worry about Brexit, it's all going to be okay, let's face it, you know, it's all going to be okay, I think, I hope, right, it's going to be okay, right? <laughs> <laughs>